This week on Thinking Biblically, we're going to answer the question, do you know the Messiah's name? Welcome back to Thinking Biblically. My name is Alan Gilman. Thinking Biblically is a podcast dedicated to exploring how all of Scripture speaks to all of life. Before we get into this week's topic, I want to remind everyone to please to subscribe if you haven't done so already, to also share and review and like. That really helps get this podcast out to more people. Well, it looks like we're in the middle of a mini-series on important names. Last week, we looked at what is clearly the most important name in all of Scripture, which is God's name. Uh, The pronunciation of it has been lost, but what it means is more important than the sound. So you can check that out if you haven't done so already. This week, we're looking at one of the most famous names in the world, especially at this time of year. And no matter how uh, precious or maligned the name of Jesus is, there's actually a lot more misunderstanding over that name than than you might think. And so we're going to start off by looking at Matthew chapter 1, verses 12 to 23. I'm using a PowerPoint presentation again, and so you might want, if you're listening to the audio version, you might want to head over and watch the video instead. I will try, like I did last time, to narrate as best as possible, uh, but uh, you might find the video version Uh, that much more helpful. And so I'm looking, as I said, at Matthew chapter 1, verses 12 to 23 in the English Standard Version. So let's read that. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So there's something I want you to see. We're going to look at the next two verses that follows this, Matthew chapter 1, 22 and 23. So we've read, for he will save his people from their sins. And then it goes on to say, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's interesting. This is a case where a Hebrew name is properly represented through the Greek and into the English for us, Emmanuel. Uh, This is taken from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, written over 600 years before uh, the Messiah came. And what's interesting here is that we had just seen, let let me go back one, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And we're going to be focusing on this name Jesus and, and it, its roots both in Greek and in Hebrew. Uh, but Matthew has no issue referencing the prophecy that says that his name shall be called Emmanuel, which you know, with us is God or God with us. And so this shows us that the scriptural writers 
uh, and actually the Holy Spirit who inspired the scripture uh, is not hung up on, on the names and the labels of the names themselves. What's far more important is the meaning of the name. And so, uh, and, and this is another interesting thing, really, it fascinates me. Some people think that the New Testament is contrived, it's just all made up. But if it was made up, then wouldn't the name given to the supposed Messiah be Emmanuel? But actually, the name was Jesus, which we're going to be looking into, the, the background to that name. But it's like there's this, we, the technical term is it's fluid. Uh, so there's this prophecy that references Emmanuel, but when he actually comes, his name is, we're going to see what that name really is in a moment. And so you cannot uh, accept any kind of idea that this is contrived. Any, this is anything but contrived. Uh, that whoever he is, he is God with us. And so let, let's move on. I hope that's clear. If it's not clear, let me know. Okay, so let's go back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. She that is Mary, or actually Miriam in in Hebrew, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So what we want to look at is how how do we get to this English-ish, English-ish-ish name Jesus? So let's start by looking at the Greek. So I've replaced the supposed English Jesus here with the Greek, you will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus. So I have the the Greek spelling, and then the phonetic transliteration of Jesus there for you uh, with English letters, Jesus. So this is the Greek, the Greek name Jesus. I'll highlight it here for you. I hope you can see that okay. And so we're looking at this name, Jesus. Now, thing is, what language was the angel actually speaking? So we have Matthew's rendition of the story, and he's writing in Greek. Now, there's a tradition that actually he wrote his gospel in Hebrew. And that original Hebrew is, is lost, and all we have is the Greek translation. The other gospels, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, as far as you know, all written in, in Greek, and I, I'm tempted to go on some tangent here. When you read the Gospel of John, there's so clearly a Aramaic or Hebrew background to it. Um, and that's actually true for the whole New Testament, something that scholars haven't taken seriously for most of the past 2,000 years, but is taken more seriously by some, and hopefully more and more, and hopefully by you, <laughs> as I share this with you, is the language basis of the New Testament, even though it's written in Greek, most of the authors, except maybe Luke, come from a Jewish background, and their whole way of thinking is going to be a Jewish one, a Hebraic one, an Aramaic one. And, and another tangent we don't want to get uh, onto here is the, the place of how the languages of Hebrew and Aramaic were seem to be interspersed in first century Israel, um, and the Aramaic being used by the Jewish Jewish people at that time would be a Jewish Aramaic. 
as opposed to an Aramaic further east uh, in, in, in Babylon, for example. But you know, Jewish people everywhere, we have tended to ad- ad- adapt the local language, but then the way we speak about certain things, and then when we get onto religious issues and biblical issues, they will take on more of a Hebraic Jewish uh, point of view, so to speak. And so even if Matthew wrote in in Greek, his his Greek would be heavily influenced by Hebrew and Aramaic. Regardless as to what language Matthew used, what language was the angel speaking to Joseph? Then in Luke, we have the angel speaking to Mary or Miriam. Um, Again, it's either going to be Hebrew or an Aramaic that is that is very influenced by Hebrew. And so whatever it was, what uh, Joseph heard, what what Miriam heard was not Jesus, but it would most likely be, and let's do that here, what they actually heard was the Hebrew or Aramaic derivative, which would be very, very close to the Hebrew. What they would hear is Yehoshua. Yehoshua. Now, um, interestingly, you know what? You know what is Yehoshua? Well, Yehoshua is the name used for the person who succeeded Moses. If we go look at the the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, Yehoshua is the person that succeeded Moses, the one that led the people into the Promised Land. And in English, that's Joshua. So, Yehoshua in English, it, uh, from which Jesus is derived, is what we would say Joshua. Now, let's, see, let's go here. And so, yes. So, Joshua is the English of Yehoshua, from which the Greek Jesus is derived. And so, this verse here, with most English translations where we have Jesus, in the original New Testament, in Greek, it's Jesus, but it's representing the Hebrew, Yehoshua, and so it's actually the name Joshua. And so when Joseph in Matthew 1 or in the Gospel of Luke, Mary is hearing the announcement of the name that God is assigning to the Messiah. They are hearing, and if we're talking English, Joshua, Yehoshua. And so when, when Joseph hears this, we could say, Dem's fighting words. For Joseph to hear that the coming Messiah's name was to be Yehoshua or Joshua, God is affirming to him what we would call Jewish expectation. The Messiah was, they, Jewish people in the first century understood the Messiah to be, was was to be a conquering king. The long-awaited Messiah was going to come and uh, break the foreign oppression 
that had been part of Jewish life ever since they'd come back from Babylon. The whole concept of Messiah grew out of a time before that when the prophets were confronting the sin of the people of Israel. They were, they were warning them that unless they would repent, then God would punish them by bringing foreign oppression that would eventually result in exile. Now, that first time around, they were told through the prophet Jeremiah that that exile would last for 70 years. So the Babylonians exiled the people to Babylon, and then afterwards, when the Persians conquered the Babylonians under King Cyrus, just as was prophesied through the prophet Isaiah, the people were allowed to come back. Now, at that time, only a minority returned, and that minority continued on until the destruction of the temple in the year 70 after, after Yeshua came. Um, during that time, there was only a short period. So after the return from Babylon under the Persians, there was only a short period during the time of the Maccabees. Uh, it has to do with the story of Hanukkah. There was a short period of time where there was Jewish independence in the land of Israel. But prior to that, there was they were under the uh, the rulership of the Persians, then the Greeks, then we have the period following Hanukkah, which is a bit of independence, and then the Romans take over. So during this, what's called the Second Temple period, after the return from Babylon, even though the Jewish people were allowed to be in their own land again, we were under continued foreign oppression. And being under foreign oppression was a reminder that not all was right with, with, with the people and God, that they were in this state of disfavor still. And in the midst of that, all the predictions prior to the Babylonian exile about the Messiah uh, became focused on more and more. There was great messianic expectation. And the expectation about the Messiah's coming was that he was going to break the power of Rome. He was going to remove Caesar's rule over the land, which was greatly oppressive, great taxation. The, the presence of the Roman soldiers all over the land of Israel was a reminder that all was not right with God. And the idea was the Messiah was going to come. He was going to rid the land of foreign oppression, he would establish God's kingdom, and he would bring about the resurrection of the dead, the final judgment, and peace and goodness would reign forever. This was the messianic expectation. And so now is the time for the Messiah to be born. And what's his name? His name given by God was, was what we would say in a, in a better English, Joshua, the great conquering hero of Israel. And so God was feeding what a lot of people would call a messianic misunderstanding about what the role of the Messiah would be. But I don't think that's right. By God giving the Messiah the name Joshua, Yehoshua, he was he was was definitely feeding that expectation and moving forward in the story the the 
common way this is explained is that the Jewish people got this under got this whole thing wrong, that Messiah wasn't going to come to conquer the Romans, which was partly true. He wasn't going to come and 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 break the foreign oppression and and lead uh, Israel to this glorious thing. Instead, he was coming to die for the sins of the people and create this, instead of this uh, physical national expectation, what was going to happen was this wonderful uh, spiritual experience. That's what the Messiah was going to do by dying for our sins. But the, there's tr- absolutely there's truth in understanding the, the, the spiritual things that Jesus came to do. But what has been confused is by dying for our sins, what Jesus accomplished isn't less than what the Jewish people expected. It was more than what the Jewish people expected. The Jewish people only expected a like a physical militaristic attack on Rome. Um, and that Caesar would be conquered in that way. But the more than what Yehoshua came to do was he was going to break Caesar's power by breaking the power of death. This is a greater than, this is a more than what my people expected. By breaking Caesar's power, he took away Caesar's control over the lives of all who would put their trust in the Messiah. Once death was no longer a threat, then the people would be free to be all that God wanted the people to be. And so there is a more than what the Jewish expectation was. And I'm going to get into this a little bit more uh, as we get to the end, but what I first want to do is then why do we end up with the name Jesus? We um, So what we see is Jesus is derived from the Hebrew Yehoshua, and that's because in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, the name Yehoshua is represented by the Greek Jesus. And so then when we have the translation of of Jesus in English, we end up with Jesus. And that's because there was a tendency in the New Testament uh, to use um, an English that represented the Greek sounds as opposed to in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, when that was translated uh, originally, uh, we would have Hebrew representations of, uh, the English would be represented by more Hebrew. So in, in the Old Testament, we get Joshua. In the New Testament, we end up with Jesus. We see this illustrated, if we look here, this is the King James of Matthew 17, verse 3, uh, where um, Yeshua is, and we're going to get to where the name Yeshua comes from, which is my preference to use. Uh, the, Yeshua is standing on the Mount of what's called, we end up calling it the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17, and 
uh, Peter, James, and John, C, Moses, and in the King James, it says Elias talking with him. So Elias is Elijah, and in the King James Old Testament, you would see something to akin in the, in the very original 1611 version, which I'm going to show you in a second. Um, the Hebrew is, is, is one way, but the New Testament has Elias, which is the, the, the Greek way of saying Elijah. I know it's kind of confusing, but I'm doing my best here. We see this too in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8, where Joshua is referenced, but the English of the King James is Jesus. Actually, it's not quite Jesus. In the, in the original King James, I'm going to show you this here. This is a page from the 1611 version of the, uh, the King James Version. We'll get a little closer here. This is chapter 1. And we see here, let's see if I can get a little pointer going here. And we see here, uh, we have the book of the generation of, and this is where it says Jesus. I'm going to highlight it now with an additional uh, oval here. So this is how the name, what we now call as Jesus, is represented. But actually, if you look here, this initial, um, what we now call a J, is actually a fancy I. If you go down here, you see Isaac. See, this is Isaac. It's the same letter as this for what we now say Jesus. It's the same as Jacob. And what it was is the initial, the initial I is what eventually in English became a J. And the J, which was originally pronounced as a Y, becomes a J. And so that's where, and I, I think I tried to explain that last time. Um, you know, we can see here, here's the little summary up here. We have what we now say Joseph. The S's used to look like F's. Um, it took quite a while for English to become more standardized. And so, and the initial, uh, is an I here in the King James English. And, and it, it's supposed to represent the Y sound in the Greek representing the Hebrew, which eventually in English becomes a J. It's all to say that the, that Jesus is Joshua. Uh, even though all the J's should be pronounced with a Y and so on. Now, why do we hear Yeshua very often? So people who, who want to say his name more authentically, um, like myself, uh, depending in, in the context that, that I'm in, um, the Hebrew is often represented as Yeshua. Why is it not Yehoshua? Well, that's because in Hebrew, like in English and other languages, I'm going to show you an example here of the name Jonathan. Jonathan appears in two ways in the Hebrew scriptures. On the left, we have Yohanatan. On the right, we have Yonatan. Yohanatan and Yonatan, but they both represent Jonathan. And so, Yeshua and Yehoshua are the same name. One's a short form, one's a longer form. And there's so many of them in the Hebrew scriptures. And it's just like, 
it's just what people do with names. Names often have a longer form, they often have a shorter form, and it's it's just what we do with names. Names are names. And so uh, what's most important about names is, as we get back here to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, is that we understand who and what they are representing. It's not so much the sounds. So whether it's uh, Yehoshua or Yeshua or Joshua or Jeshua, you're going to find Bible translations that have the short form of Joshua as Jeshua, which in the Hebrew, then it's that's because it's actually spelled out in the short form, which is Yeshua. And to be actually, I don't know why we use Yeshua for Jesus in the New Testament. Was he always called by the shorter form? Because Jesus in Greek, the Jesus in Greek represents Yehoshua in Hebrew. And so shouldn't it be Joshua? And if we want to say it in Hebrew, it's Yehoshua. It seems to me that if we were able to go back to the beginning, go back to the beginning and work this out over time and come up with the best name in English to use for um, Jesus in Greek, it's Joshua. And that would provide that oomph that is often missing when we say Jesus. And also in English, when we say Jesus, that doesn't sound very Hebraic. We claim that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, but the sound Jesus, there's nothing Hebrew about it at all. Joshua, even though it has a J sound because of what's happened with that initial I that became a J and then how the J became pronounced. I hope I'm not driving you crazy here. Um, Joshua is acceptable as a Hebrew name. Um while Jesus sounds very non-Jewish to, to Jewish ears. Now, I'm not asking for a pronunciation revolution as much as I'm calling for a um, an understanding of what's really going on here so that, so that you can explain it to other people. But also, as we continue to say Jesus, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon, that in the English world, his name's going to be Jesus. I'm hoping more and more people will understand the meaning behind the name, that when we're saying Jesus, we're actually representing Yehoshua, Joshua, that he was his namesake was the conquering hero. Now, I touched on this a little bit, and this is what I want to close with. I want to look a little bit more at what does it mean for he will save his people from their sins. I'm going to close the PowerPoint here. For uh, he will save his people from their sins. Now, theologically, that is most often thought of, as I explained a, a little earlier, uh, that the purpose of the coming of, of the Messiah, according to the New Testament, the way it's often represented, is simply spiritual. That in, in terms of he gave of himself, he gave his blood to cover our sins so that we can have right relationship with God. And that is correct. But just like I said, there's more to it than that just like the understanding of the coming of the Messiah, is that he 
has come to break oppression. He's come to break the power of death that we can have uh, experienced the resurrection, which we are anticipating one day, but we can now have resurrection life working in and through our lives now. So I want to mention one more thing about how Joseph would have heard, for he will save his people from their sins, because he would not have heard the important aspect, which is important, I don't want to downplay that, that the Messiah would uh, function as that final sacrifice so that we can be made right with God by having our sins forgiven. But there's more to it. I keep saying that there's more to it than that. And what that is, is the the ancient understanding of what it meant to have a, a right relationship with God due to sins forgiven is this idea that the Jewish people understood that things were not right between them and God because they were being oppressed by and controlled by a foreign nation. And to have their sins forgiven meant that God would break that oppression. And so that the coming of the Messiah would not simply reconnect individuals with God, but that he would come into the world to make the nation of Israel right with God, and the whole world right with God, and that the coming of the Messiah meant that everything would be set right. So when we read in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life, the understanding of the world as the cosmos, which is the Greek word, that God so loved the created order that he sent Messiah into the world that whoever trusts in him, that's what it means to believe in him, to trust in him, would receive the, the life of the age to come, that all that God was anticipating and the Jewish people were anticipating in this making everything right again, and bringing peace into the world, and ridding the world of sin, and evil, and all the bad stuff, that the coming of the Messiah connects us, not simply with a, a relationship with God where we kind of have serenity forever, and maybe float, a, 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 float along in the clouds, this kind of thing, that actually what we're receiving with the coming of the Messiah is the fullness of all that God has in store for his creation, and that we get to participate in that creation restoration now, um, not in its fullness, but in a substantial way as he sets us right as individuals with him through the Messiah, and that we get to participate in the, in the restoration of the creation through our relationships, through how we deal with um, social matters and a marriage and children and life in all of its fullness. There's so much that God wants to do in and through us in the name of Messiah 
Yehoshua, Yeshua, Joshua. We get to walk with the great restorer. There's so much for us to explore in this, as I hope we will do in future episodes of Thinking Biblically. Let me know what you think. Again, please subscribe, share, review, and so on. And if you want to contact me directly, you can do so at comments at thinkingbiblically.org. That's comments at thinkingbiblically.org. And so until next time, this is Alan Gilman with Thinking Biblically.